to Welcome to What the Truck. I'm Dooner here with Michael Vincent. Welcome, everybody. It's a it's a cold and rainy day, but still beautiful here in downtown Chattanooga, heart of Freight Alley. How you doing, man? I'm still up in the, uh, the skies thinking about celestial anarchy after space waves yesterday. Oh. You know, I think some people, they looked at the event, they're like, what are you going to talk? How do you do logistics and space? And I'll tell you, I mean, for me, this is the most, that was the most fun freight event that I've ever been a part of. Yeah, live or virtual. I, 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 I totally agree. Yeah. It, it, it was so interesting and uh, a lot of things I didn't sus- uh, expect and um, or suspect. Yeah. But then just, you know, when you start thinking about the future of what this is opening up, it really gets crazy. And you just, you know, contemplate for hours where, where you're going. Right? Are we at the verge of Star Wars? Is Are we like the original <laughs> planet that is? Well, I want to you know say. I mean? After talking to after talking to uh, Alexander Salter from Texas Tech, you know, he was talking about how he has this deep interest in like the regulatory bodies of space, right? Yeah. And the students have this deep interest in it. When you start looking at it, and uh, I don't know the the uh, out of this atmosphere, this out of this stratosphere subterfuge that can happen, and just what the wild west that space is. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of doors open for those Star Wars. It was yeah. fascinating, though. I mean, the IQs of the people that we were talking to. I mean, we got to talk to NASA. We talked to Mark Weiss. We talked to Max Briggs. We talked to Mark McDonald. We got to this great Q&A with them. They're so open, yep. telling us all about how what happens above the stars relates to what goes on right down here on the ground. You know, we even talked to DHL. We saw how that Justin Baird from DHL, yeah. he told us how DHL is getting involved. And uh, I love that everyone that's in the space is so self-aware of the fact that People may laugh at it at first, like the idea of space. It may seem so far off. And they're also prepared for that. And they're open, like, like they know how to disarm the cynicism. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it comes from you, you have to have uh, a sort of uh, childlike inquisitivity, you know, inquisitive yeah. nature to go forward. I mean, it, we, talking to astrospace, even the garbage men in space are smart. <laughs> End of life services <laughs> you know for satellites. Who would, Crazy. I mean, who would even think about it? And that, that, you know, I felt like Jack Skellington when he went to Christmas Village and he's like, what's this? What's this? You know, it's just magic everywhere. It's magic. It Beautiful ornaments. Magic. Yes. Called I, stars. I, I <laughs> satellites. Love, even the comments, you know, Astro, uh, uh, Astroscale talking about uh, uh, the, the junkyard, space junkyards. Yeah. And then in the comments, yeah, that's where you can hide your uh, malicious bots that are out there and attack your competitors <laughs> and do stuff. And then, you know, I autom- automatically thought of the Millennium Falcon. Attach yeah. that garbage scowl, yeah. right? <laughs> like well, Slave One and Boba Fett, comes. right? Yes. <laughs> so if, if you guys miss Space Waves, you can go to live.freightwaves.com, click on past events, click on, on the agenda on Space Waves, and you can replay all those events. Or if you want audio, we've already started uploading a bunch of these to Freightcast. Look up Freightcast on your favorite podcast player. Subscribe, and you'll get all of our shows there, including What the Truck and all those Space Waves events. It's yeah, absolutely a great value for that channel, especially it's considering it's free. Value. <laughs> Absolutely is. <laughs> hey, let's tip the band. This episode is brought to you by Reliance Partners, the nation's premier commercial insurance agency for the transportation logistics industry. Focus on your destination. Let them watch your back. Learn more about Reliance Partners at Tell Them Dude. ReliancePartners.com. Go there immediately after the show. Tell them, uh, tell Chad I said hi. You, uh, <laughs> yeah, Mr. Eichelberg, right? That's right. <laughs> you, uh, so you just did on the spot, so this has to be fresh on your mind, the DHL Pricing mm-hmm. Power Index. It's Friday, so let's get you up to date on the market. And right now, carriers are flexing their pricing power on the East Coast. By the way, uh, Nor'easter's headed that way, too. So Ooh. all my friends and family up north, stay safe. Um, yeah, drivers, too. 
So digital supply chain pricing power index, though, is up from an 80 to an 85 this week. It's been facilitating back and forth between mm-hmm. both. Um, the DHL supply chain pricing power index uses analytics from within Sonar to crack down and analyze the, the market here. And uh, what a report on it states uh, is that Black Friday and Cyber Monday are stark examples of this year's consumer. Not a lot of surprises in this, but we get to crystallize it all. The trend that we saw coming happened, right? Uh, yeah. with, with buying in stores. 50, what was it? Uh, in-store traffic created by more than 50%, but e-commerce was setting records on both Black Friday and Cyber Monday with uh, with huge deals. I think Cyber Monday was what? The largest? Uh, Black Friday was the number three, and Cyber Monday was the number one largest online spending days in American history. And tender rejections have uh, they've declined from all-time highs on Friday, but they remain above 25% and on spot rates. Pretty strong, yeah. too. Tell us more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those that, that decline was from, you know, capacity coming back online, drivers coming yeah. back online after after Thanksgiving. So, but, yeah, yeah. so, uh, you know, on Thursday, U.S. lost more than 2,800 people to COVID-19. Wait, are you saying right? it wasn't from the uh, Stop the Tires protest? No, it wasn't okay. the Stop the Tires. It was, thanks, it was, it was st- Stop and Eat Turkey yeah. uh, is, is what it was. But on Thursday, you know, the, the U.S. lost more than 2,800 people to COVID-19. We're also experiencing record high hospitalizations and, and new daily infections, right? And, uh, you know, the multiple vaccines possibly coming online, but it's going to be limited. You know, the vaccine companies are already noting supply chain difficulties and uh, delaying their inoculations and what's going on in the heat of the uh, political or the the holiday season. We've seen strong, positive cyclicality uh, and low inventory to sales ratios, you know, strong consumer sentiment still uh, and lack of service base. People aren't traveling and going out to dinner and all that kind of stuff bolsters a belief and shows that the three month is 70, right? Yeah. Which is up from, I think it was a 65. So yeah. that's come up. So this, the strength is going to continue. And that outbound tender reject index at the all-time high of 28.46 has declined slightly from that. Still very strong. But here's a bigger issue going on, too. As of Monday, there are 20 vessels anchored off the coast of Los Angeles and Long Beach. An additional 16 are expected by Friday. And if you work the ports, you know how congested it's getting over there. And uh, that's like uh, Lucy in the Chocolate Factory. You know, the the more that comes in, the harder it gets to move these vessels out. And that causes delays for everybody. And I've been on the 3PL side. I've been the broker. And everyone wants to know where their freight is, especially this season. I feel for you guys. I really, really do. Also, for the first time this year, the national spot rate average cracked $3 a mile, inclusive of fuel, uh, according to the truckstop.com van per, uh, per mile index. And, you know, freight's one of those one industries where the worse the service gets because of all this volume, the more you have to pay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you pay for worse service. You pay for worse service. A premium for worse what service. What a great business. Jeez. Here, here's, a, here's a story about someone paying themselves uh, twice. Oh. <laughs> Ex-recruiter yeah, accused right. of embezzling $121,000. That's right. Clarissa Haas reports a federal grand jury has indicted a former driver, uh, driver recruiter for two Missouri trucking companies on five counts of wire fraud. The indictment filed in U.S. District Court in St. Louis. They claim that Michelle uh, Search Stein, she's 50 of Smith. She, she's 50. She should know better of smith and illinois she submitted fake recruiting expenses for for reimbursement from october 27th to january 2019 while working as a driver recruiter for midwest systems it's an intermodal logistics company with uh 61 power units and 46 drivers but then she, she got fired and then she struck again she struck again after she was fired in january 2019 sir stein was hired by another st louis carrier double a express aa express incorporated as a recruiter to oversee driver safety 
The U.S. Attorney's Office said so from March 2019 to August 2019, federal investigators claim Serthstein diverted funds from her employer into her personal account before employment ended. Uh, and AA Express has 121 uh, power units. Uh, $121,000? <sighs> yeah, she's still so 121 two different companies. Two different companies. She's entered a plea for the wire for, uh, fraud charges. And according yeah. to the U.S. Attorney's Office, she faces up to 20 years in prison and a $250,000 fine if convicted. Keep it clean out there, folks. Here's a cool story, too. We're running out of time here because we got to get to Hugh. But before yeah. we do, U.S. Express and MIT, uh, the smart kids over there back uh, up in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, they are looking at dwell time. So that's got to make you happy, right? John Kingston has a great report on this, but it's basically how U.S. Express and Variants are working with the Massachusetts Institute of Technology to share data and those kind of things and get uh, a better idea of what is going on with dwell time. I highly implore you to um, check out that article. If you have a little more downtime in the show, we'll get yeah. to that one as well. But right now, should we, should we do it? Should we bring uh, one of our featured guests on? Yeah, I think we should. Absolutely. All right, let's bring on Hugh Eckberg from uh, CSRT. He is their uh, CEO and president over there. And also, I think we have some cool desk ornamentations. Hey, Hugh, how are you doing? Hey. Great, how are you guys doing? You know, it looks, uh, it looks pretty. It lo- yeah, I knew that's 40 max, right? It looks pretty sunny over there in, um, in Cedar Rapids. It's a gorgeous uh, December day here in Cedar Rapids. We know the snow and cold's coming soon, so we really appreciate these days. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Just try and get a little December golf in Cedar Rapids, wow. right? I mean, it's yeah. an, an odd occurrence. Well, I mean, <laughs> Hugh, I, I don't know if you heard us talk about the DHL Pricing Power Supply Chain Index, but um, it, it, it's tough out there, right? It's expensive. Capacity is really, really tight. Um, just before we jump into things, what's your view of the market right now? What is uh, CRST seeing? I mean, just what you talked about right now, you talked about spot rates, you talked about the imbalance between capacity and demand, and, and we all see that. We all know it's there. Um, and we're all trying to figure out how to bring capacity back. Uh, the, the driver shortage is as bad as it's ever been. You guys have talked about it on the show before. Several factors impacting it. Obviously, COVID-19, a big part of it. Um, the drug clearinghouse, overall, a very good thing because we don't want those drivers on the road. But nonetheless, it's taken drivers off the road. Um, with DMVs and, and training schools either closed or constrained, fewer new drivers coming in. So, so all it's making it tough. And as you talked about, I, I laughed as you said it because it's it's uh, the reality of this market. Rates are up, and our ability to serve is down. And it's it's you know one of those strange things we have to figure out how to do better. When we talked to about two months ago, uh, you know we did talk about the key secret. I believe on this end is going to be carriers and shippers working better together to stop that dwell time, stop the detention. So um, trucks are rolling and not sitting. And ultimately, there's a a lot more capacity available when we use the trucks in the road more efficiently. But that requires that work between um, both shippers and carriers to make that happen. You know, CRST, Michael, they know a thing or two about acquisition. They, they've grown yeah. through it. If you've been following the news, th- that space has been red hot the past couple of weeks. I mean, we're even sitting on, on some embargoed news on other deals that are, are going to go through. You'll mm-hmm. be hearing about them as the weeks pour in December. Tell us a little bit about acquisitions, uh, what's going on right now, and, and how that they work with CRST. Well, as you guys know, you actually talked to Bill Clement uh, about a month ago. And, yeah. you know, we did a great acquisition at the start of the year. We thought it was a really bad acquisition because we bought it. Um, February 28th, and as we all know, it happened in March with the markets <laughs> shutting down, but it's a home delivery, home installation business. And uh, even though the, the start of that in March was very slow, that business has been great for us. Um, and, you know, the model that we acquired and have integrated into our business, very scalable, very high quality, 
and we talked about it before, and I actually want to bring it up again because we talked about that um, the Get Cool New York City Air Conditioner Project, you know, where we installed about 40,000 air conditioners um, in about eight weeks um, this summer. Actually, um, the uh, New York City Emergency Management Organization just sent, her, sent a letter of commendation to our customer, which we were included in, for the ability to execute that project on very short notice um, and, and do a great job. And so we're seeing that business grow, talking to some of the great um, customers we all know that are doing home delivery, home installation with the consumer. Um, and that's been a great acquisition for us. But over its, over its entire life, CRST has grown through acquisitions. And as a result, we've got very significant capability in multiple segments of the market. Really good flatbed business. We believe it's the largest uh, team business in the market, so in the expedited space. Uh, obviously, a very good um, just overall capacity business in our, what we call integrated solutions, our, our um, brokerage business, uh, and a very large dedicated uh, business, as well as our specialized business, which does kind of an LTL network, high-value products, as well as that home delivery, home installation. Uh, and the great thing is, all those are all under the roof of CRST as, as, as one company. And, uh, you know, we're going out to the market and our customers, making sure they understand virtually any service need they have uh, in this market, we can do and we can do it well because we've got good scale. Yeah, you know, Hugh and, and, and Tim, I was talking to uh, Zach Strickland on on the spot, and yeah. we were, he was asking me a question of, you know, if your budget this year has been blown, either good or bad, <laughs> depending on what side you're on there, and it happens every year, and you don't know what's going to happen next year. We, we we have some indication through the through the first quarter of how how things are going because of the events that are happening. But does the vaccine come on? How do you manage your budget next year? And I set, put forth the proposition that the best thing that you can do is really the the customer relationships and those those value added services, et cetera. So, Hugh, how do you guys approach that? There, do you echo that sentiment, and how do you uh, approach that from a, a client solutions? I think that's the absolute key to this. Is and we talked about it. it's working together. In fact, I have a great story. I think it's funny. Last time I was with you guys, you started out talking about uh, you had just done the um, uh, home delivery, home installation um, event the day before, and, and we talked about our business. And you started out today talking about space and a great story. So we have a, a good pharmaceutical business. So we have got you know a fair amount of our trucks that are that are carrying pharmaceuticals for some key um, customers in that space. Um, you know redundant cooling systems to make sure we can maintain temperatures uh, at a very very critically controlled level. Uh, and we were on phone call with one of our customers. It happened to be one of the, the vaccine developers. And uh, we started to move a few loads, but they're starting to fill the supply chain. But the meeting was about, this thing's about to ramp up. How are we going to make sure we make it happen? And the great thing is the challenge that was put out is, the quote that was made is, this was put a man on the moon stuff. So this is thinking differently about transportation because getting the vaccine out to the market is, you know, what is going to save lives and, and save the economy and, and, and get this country back on the track that needs to be on, get the world back on the track it needs to be on. But the discussion was very different, and it was great, and it was about we need to think completely differently. Those companies proved that all the people back in March said there's no way in the world you can get a vaccine out in two years, let alone one year. Here we are nine months later, and we've got vaccines ready to be approved and out in the market because they completely thought differently about how you get out there. And that's the challenge we're on now. And the idea is there can be no failures. We can't lose any loads. We can't deliver anything late. Everything has to work, and you guys are in the business, and to talk about 100% performance is something that 
isn't something that we really talk about seriously a lot, but we are talking about it. And we're talking about working closely with that customer in that relationship and working with other parts of our um, network, maybe some of our suppliers of how do we think completely differently to say, we're going to make sure that every pickup's on time, every delivery's on time um, by doing things different. Wow. And I think it's a great, different, powerful way to think about going to market. And it, it's obviously this situation with the vaccine is driving that thinking, but that thinking has the opportunity to happen in many other spaces as well. Hugh, I mean, that, that begs the question, how do you, you know, when you're making acquisitions, you have a little bit of, of time to do due diligence. But then when you have something like COVID and a vaccine deployment or maybe even something far reaching like space, these are these are a little bit scarier things to get involved with. They, 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 they take extra bandwidth. They, they cost money. How do you make those decisions? How do you go about uh, dedicating time and resources to it? So on this one, I will admit it wasn't a hard choice, um, yeah. and I'm not trying to you know blow smoke here. The reality is, it's so important to the country, and that's one of the things I think that 2020 made us all realize is you know we need to take a very different look. It was a true health crisis. People are afraid. We have to change how we do work, um, and, and really embrace the need to obviously serve the country, protect the country, as well as serve and protect our all of our employees and, and each other. And so to be part of this vaccine um, deployment is, is a very, very important thing for us. And, and that makes it a priority. And secondly, I have to say our, our, our carrier, um, I'm sorry, our shipper, the, the business partner we're working with, their approach to it is we are going to work together. on This, this is not a rate um, per loaded mile discussion. This isn't about here's the parameters, just make it happen. It is about how do we think differently and do things differently, um, which we know there's going to be risk to this. These are obviously expensive loads. You've got that exposure. There's probably some brand exposure. If something does happen, you know, it's going to make the news, obviously. So, um, but our approach to this is it's a great opportunity. It's, it is a, the way we need to be serving the country and, and getting us back on our feet completely. Um, and for us, this is a market we're in. These are customers we're, we're part of already, and we want to continue to be better um, providers to them and provide better service. Well, here we have about uh, 90 seconds left. Uh, what, what, give us something to look forward to at a CRST in uh, 2021. What's on the horizon? So I think the biggest thing on the horizon is this, this world, this, uh, this year was huge and different, and it did make us think a little more boldly and differently. And whereas we used to operate in our kind of, hey, we, we have this service model, we have that service model, and went to market that way. You know, we're really coming under this idea of the one CRST. We're a great solution provider. Um, to all of our customers, and some may just want Teams, they might just want Flatbed. We've got many that need all those things, and we can pull all those capabilities together. And as we just talked about, let's talk about man on the moon stuff. Let's think about doing things different and better and, and, and really collaborating and, and being innovative to provide a higher service product to anyone in the market that needs it. Well, fantastic. Where should we send people who want to learn uh, more about CRST and, and yourself? Well, send them to beautiful, sunny Cedar Rapids, or uh, <laughs> they can obviously go to our website, CRST.com, um, has all the information on our services and our organization and then how to get in touch with us. Wow. Well, thank you very much, uh, Hugh. Happy holidays and take care. Thanks, guys. Be safe and great holidays. Take care. Thanks, Hugh. Man, Cedar I, whenever he says Cedar Rapids and when we talk to CRST, I can't help but think of that awesome Ed Helms comedy that came out uh, 
Jeez, I, I don't. It's 2011. It seems like yesterday, but it came out in 2011. It's really good. If you guys haven't seen, if you haven't seen Cedar Rapids, check it out. It's uh, it's about this group who goes to this really boring and drab conference, <laughs> and they they just cut loose. And I'm sure anyone who's in this comment section can uh, can relate to it. And a lot of people here were chiming in on what he had to say. They're okay, saying, good. you know, like Mary Hirsch saying, if only shippers and carriers could realize they were on the same side. And you know, it's funny. He did mention that, like, when it comes to something really, really critical, really, really crucial, like the COVID vaccine seen their shipper, their partner. Yeah, they want to work hand in hand. Right. You know, you, you look more at a cost plus basis. You know, you go, well, what does it cost you? You know, it, it, it's much more friendly and it's much more yeah. cordial because you need that reliability and that capacity. But yeah, we don't often treat each other like this. And it's a very retaliatory business where, you know, because it, it, people feel like there's a winner and there's a loser. So when they when the DHL pricing power, supply chain pricing power index is on their side, they're for it, right? Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we, we saw that earlier in the year. Yeah. <laughs> we, we want regulated rates, right? Yeah, and you know, that fell by the, that fell by the wayside. Sure. But let's, let's, let's see what happens come springtime. Yeah, we want, yeah. A fl- we want a floor, but we don't want a ceiling. Speaking of live events, <laughs> speaking of conferences, now this wasn't a drab, boring one. This was a really awesome one. It was Freightways Live in Chicago. Yeah. One of our keynote speakers was our guest who's coming on right now. It is Howard Green. He's the author of Railroader. And at that time, he came on to talk about the written form of Railroader. And today he's going to talk about having to read the entire thing for an audiobook that he narrated himself. Howard Green, how you doing? I'm great. Tim, thanks so much uh, for having me. I love the set that you guys have there. It's terrific. And I love the name of the show. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. A quick story. Howard Green, when I was, I, the first time I met you, um, I was sitting at, I was sitting at the, the check-in desk at Freightways Live Chicago and, uh, and, and yeah. you walked up and you were just, uh, no pretension, nothing like that. Like salt of the earth. Awesome. <laughs> awesome guy. He wasn't like, where's the green room? I need 16, right? None of that kind of stuff. He was just like, Hey, I'm here. What do I do? <laughs> it's great. too hey, small. Exactly. <laughs> hey, so I got to well. ask you, so before we even get into like Railroader and what it is, how do you prepare yourself? Like how long did it take you to record? the audiobook and how, how do you prepare yourself for something like that? It's a really good question. So the book is about 108,000 words, including the bibliography, believe it or not, and appendices and so forth. And basically what you have to budget is two hours in the studio for every hour of finished audiobook. So the final audiobook is about 13 and a half hours you know, to listen to. So you're looking at double that about 27 hours in the studio. You do it basically in half days, like I did it afternoons, because if you, if you talk any more than four hours, your voice is toast, then you have to take a day off. (laughs) My previous book, I did full days and it just about killed me. Um, It was exhausting, but because there are no shortcuts, right? You have to read every word. And in this case with Railroader, I also did Hunter or I attempted to do Hunter's accent. Uh, As you know, he was from Memphis. So uh, it was, it was pretty funny. You know, when I told his, uh, his wife, Jeannie, uh, it's actually three months, uh, three years this month, Hunter passed away, and I'm still in touch with her. And I told Jeannie, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to narrate the audiobook. And I said, and I'm going to do Hunter's accent. And she said, I can't wait to hear you talk Southern, she said. And so anyway, it was pretty funny. Uh, and she said, you, you, should, you should try some, you know, have some cognac in the booth because, uh, you know, Hunter <laughs> liked his, his Hennessy. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I gave it my best shot. Uh, you guys will be the judge. 
I know we have a I know we have a short clip. I don't know if it actually has him doing that accent on it, but oh, guys in the I back, if you so. can pl- play this clip from his audiobook really quick, let's Just take a, a listen. Just a month after Harrison was appointed CEO of CSX, Jeannie was shielding him from calls. Six days later, on Good Friday, the two were scheduled to fly to Kansas City to be with Libby and her family. But Libby's clan would instead fly to Florida for Easter because her father was in no mood to travel. And what of the railroad? The previous CEO was already gone, and a successor to Harrison had not yet been chosen. Yeah, there's no accent. There's no accent in that one. It's just a 30-second no. clip. But there's lots peppered, peppered through it, including some of his colorful uh, phraseology, if I can put it that way. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that clip, uh, was, uh, that, that was from about a month after he took over as CEO of CSX. And he was, as you recall, extraordinarily ill um, the last uh, year or two of his life. He was he was dependent on supplemental oxygen and he, he had some really low periods there. And it was really only nine months in when when he when he passed away, nine months as CEO of CSX. Uh, and, and it's very um I mean, the whole thing was very tragic, and, and, and it wasn't a surprise that he died, but it was shocking nonetheless. And I was with him 10 days before he passed away. Uh, he had just run a so-called hunter camp for railroaders at CSX. Uh, they'd gathered in Florida for that, and he, he spoke without notes for about five hours straight, trying to teach them how to railroad and, and be leaders within the company, something he'd done at CN. He'd not done that at CP. There wasn't the time, but but he, he instituted them again at CSX, and there was this sick man playing plugged into an oxygen machine talking to these, you know, these, these young railroaders from CSX. It, it was a struggle for him those last nine months. I knew him for about 13, 14 years, going back to when he ran CN during the whole proxy fight to take over CP. During that period, uh, he ran CP and, and turned it around. He, ran, he turned around four railroads in his career. Illinois Central was the first one, which, as you know, was purchased by CN and gave CN that that Y shape, uh, you know, down through uh, you know from mm-hmm. Chicago to uh, to the Gulf. But um, the, you know, I, I, I've thought about uh, you know what what Hunter would think with COVID. You know, he. He went through a lot. He started in the, on the railroad in late 1963, so a lot happened. Uh, he went through 9/11 at CN. You know, he went through the financial crisis at CN. This is something totally different. Uh, he was a master at logistics, so he might have been a great guy to move vaccine around. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm, I'm interested, uh, Howard, in in how Hunter. I mean, he did a lot of amazing things, right? I mean, he built up these railroads. He created a lot of wealth for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. How did How did right. he manage? How was he able to manage that with 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 family life as well? I mean, was he a well balanced person, or was he just this workaholic that's just twenty four seven keep going, keep going type of thing? Well, he was the latter. He was a workaholic. He loved his family dearly and was extraordinarily close to them. And he often worked from home, you know, thinking about what we're all doing with with COVID now. Hunter often worked from his offices in in his uh, farms in Connecticut and and Florida. Um, And and so he was close to the family that way. But but his family, you know, he struggled with balance. You know, he really struggled with balance. He he worked day and night uh, for for more than fifty years in the railroads, and 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 his wife. I remember saying to me, we sat in his office one one evening in in Florida, and he was out of the room and. And, he, you know, it was around the time he'd left CP and he was trying to, you know, become CEO of CSX. And 
And, and she was very torn about it because he was so ill. And he said, well, how, when is it ever going to be enough? She said to me, look at all those awards on the shelf, you know, all those photographs. It, it, does he think he's something special? I mean, those are quotes in the book, actually. Jeannie, you know, quoted those things. Uh, and, and, and she, in fact, said to me in our last interview, uh, while he was asleep in the other room at their house, this was 10 days before he died, nine days before he died, um, you know, I kind of wish that we'd stayed in one community uh, because uh, they moved 18, 20 times for his career. And, you know, you don't develop, you know, those kind of community ties, you know, long-term friendships and so forth. So uh, they had a lot of friends, but they were all over the place. So that's a very good question. Yeah, he he didn't. I was he didn't believe in holidays, right? He worked nonstop. He even said that, including Christmas Day, and he said that if he could take a two week vacation, um, and the company didn't need him, then they didn't need him. Period. It would be frightening to work for someone like that, <laughs> yeah. right? Because that, that trickles down. Yeah. That all comes down from the head of the snake, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting. Um, Michael Sabia, who had been the chief financial officer at CN and 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 helped negotiate the the, the purchase of Illinois Central. ICN, you know, more than 20 years ago, and he became a noted business figure here, CEO of the big phone company Bell here and, and CEO of the huge Quebec pension fund. Michael said to me, you know, I always um, had the pleasure of working with Hunter rather than for Hunter, which I think would have been a very different experience, you know, with sort of a thin smile on his face. Uh, so, you know, people people knew he was a tough guy to work for. Well, fantastic. Yeah. Well, Howard, um, before we let you go, uh, j- just wrap it up for us. Where, where can people um, get the book and what are they going to learn when they read it or, or when they listen to it now? Yeah, well, it's um, it's going to be available. It'll be released a week from today, December 11th, and it'll be available on all audio platforms, wherever audiobooks are sold, Audible, uh, Apple Books, Kobo. Barnes and Noble, whatever their platform is, uh, and library platforms as well. And really what you'll get is a, is a sense of um, a figure who was never content, uh, who developed a, a philosophy for running railroads that uh, has now been adopted by six of the seven class one railroads, so-called precision scheduled railroading. And, uh, you know, a guy who created $50 billion in shareholder value in his lifetime. And since then, all those railroads have gone up in value. But he was a never content, never satisfied character, as I think you you alluded to. Uh, And um, funny, generous, intimidating, uh, never backed down from a fight, sort of, you know, carried conflict wherever he went. It's an extraordinarily dramatic story, you know, four turnarounds, um, a love story with his wife, uh, you know, the price of ambition, I think, comes through loud and clear, you know, what it cost him uh, personally to do what he did, as, mm-hmm. as, as you mentioned before. Frankly, I think it's got the character and the plot to make a great motion picture or a Netflix or Amazon Prime series. I've actually been working on a screenplay version of it, which I'm nice. trying to push out there, a very low odds proposition i realized but but i think it's all there and i you know for somebody who hasn't read the book and prefers audiobooks i hope that they enjoy listening to it and learn a lot about a, a one-of-a-kind kind of figure Wow. Well, Howard, thank you very much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Howard Green, check out his book, Railroader, get on audio book players wherever they're sold. Thanks again. Thanks to both of you and uh, all the best of the season to you. Thanks. 
Yeah, I mean, hey, he's, Thanks, he had a father who said he's not worth the gunpowder it would take to blow him up. Hunter did, not yeah, Howard. No, not Howard. <laughs> Howard may have too. I don't know, but Hunter definitely did. He also, there's also like, you ever see the Simpsons Christmas special? Where like they're going to the Greyhound track and Homer brings yeah. home the gray the Greyhound. Yeah. Well, he when money was tight for him, he would walk dogs. Right, he was walking all the Greyhounds at the track. Um, you know, he, he was a hustler. Guy worked hard. He's also big in the hor- in horses too. I think he won a couple gold medals with some horses he owned. Oh, oh, real? Oh, equestrian events. Yeah, I got you. Hey, want to want to talk about some big trucks? Let's talk. About, I love big trucks. Well, our own Alan Adler, cool. our Detroit bureau chief, he went down to Daimler and he checked out their brand new heavy duty vocational truck. We have a video of it, so let's check it out. Hi, this is Alan Adler, the Detroit bureau chief for Freightways. I'm here outside the High Desert Proving Grounds at Daimler Truck North America with the all new. 49X from Western Star. Let's take a look. The hood on the 49X is pretty special for a bunch of reasons. First of all, it weighs about 100 pounds less than the hood on the previous model. It's made of composite materials. It also has a suspension system that essentially isolates the vibration on the road from the hood. It's also sloped downward for improved visibility. Okay, so I'm hanging onto a mirror. Why am I doing that? It's mostly to show that the C-bar construction of the mirrors, which are mounted into the door of the truck, to prevent a bunch of movement when the truck is moving. These do not move much at all. They'll also hold a 300-pound man. I don't weigh quite that much, but if I was inclined to do it, I don't think I could, but a chin-up is very possible on these mirrors. The steps in the 49X are pretty special. You can't really see it exactly without being inside the cab, but essentially what you've got is more of a staircase format in the way these are built. Rather than being a ladder where you have to climb a ladder to get in the truck, you can step up like you might be going up a set of stairs. Now these holes that are in in between and, and arrayed all across the step were engineered specifically to do two things. One is to let the mud from your boots, from your work boot, fall through, and the other is to provide additional traction as you're climbing up into the cab. The Western Star 49X was designed from a chassis perspective to handle many different kinds of vocations. In this case, we're talking about logs for timber haulers, and you can see right here the kind of logs we're talking about. Another application for the 49X is a crane. This crane is designed in such a way that it mates perfectly with the low trench roof on the 49X. Crane fits over it and is set to do its work without any disruption from the roof itself. Driving the 49X isn't anything like driving the family SUV, but given the size and weight and hauling 40,000 pounds of gravel, it's pretty smooth. There is some noise and vibration going over a rough two-track road like this, but it's nowhere near what you might expect. It is possible to have a conversation in the cab without shouting. The vibration doesn't seem to affect the hood because it has its own suspension, and the mirrors don't bounce or jiggle either. Overall, it's a decent ride. So you can see the Western Star 49X has a lot to offer. We've given you just a little bit of a look at it, and we, uh, we really appreciate the folks at Dynamo Trucks North America bringing us out here to the high desert proving ground in Mattress, Oregon. Wow, and that's a jungle gym for a 300-pound man. 
Yeah, I wanted to see Alan try and do a chin up though. <laughs> was, I mean, he was giving up. He was giving some tug and some pull on it. <laughs> yeah, he was. But I wanted to see him get his chin above that bar there. I mean, that, that's a, that's a fascinating. That's called a forty nine X, and it's a vocational truck. And and you and I, we know a thing or two about like the heavy duty eighteen wheelers. But this vocational space, we were you know in our pre show meeting, we're talking about. We're talking about how cool these trucks are. But we really have no idea exactly how how they work and the development and all those things that go into it, do we? No, we re- no, we really don't, right? So there's there's interesting things. I mean, I would imagine there's there's uh, like that uh, seems to be something that's fairly homogenous. That different you put different chassis on or or different uh, you know tops onto those chassis and and working for different things. But I imagine in the vocational market that they look at some fairly customized stuff as well, right? Yeah, I mean, look, and vocational market. If you guys aren't familiar, those are like your your dump trucks, your your big haulers. That 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 forty nine X that you just saw there. Also, those those gigantic uh, heavy haul trucks, right? With uh, they're so big, you have to take a staircase. I mean, the, the tires themselves are like what twelve feet tall. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Just to get into the thing. About. Yeah, right. Yeah, those huge, the, like working in the strip mines and so on. Yeah. Uh, Samantha is here now, too, so let's bring Samantha up. Samantha Parlier, Vice President, Vocational Market Segment Development for Daimler Trucks North America. Samantha, we checked out the video before you came on. I know Alan came down to, uh, to your facility, and he got to check out the truck. It looked really cool. It is really cool. Thanks for having me, guys. Nice to see you. Yeah, well, we're happy to see you as well. You know, I was reading a little bit about your background, and um, I learned actually from an Alan Adler article that he wrote about covering this that you were a bit of a gearhead in high school, and that's sort of how you got your interest in uh, what you're doing now, which is this vocational trucking market. Tell us a little bit about uh, about that background. Yeah, you know, I, I have my dad to thank for it, quite frankly, and he decided that if I was going to to get a car, which Back in the day, I know things have changed, but back in the day, like when you turned 16 and you you wanted to get a car, it was so life-changing. And we lived out in a remote area. And so to get a car was everything. Like I could, I could have that freedom. And he said, before you get a car, you're going to learn how to change the oil, change a tire, um, and, and just do some kind of basic stuff that he figured everyone needed to know when they had a car. So I, I, I learned how to do it. And I was like, this is awesome. And it just was like a a switch flipped. And then anything I could do on my car myself. And, um, it was a 1981 Nissan Sentra, which nobody would brag about these days, but (laughs) anything I could do on that car. Um, I just, I just fell more and more in love with it. Then it led into, um, a love of off-roading. I grew up in the Pacific Northwest and we got, we've got some great mountain ranges and I started off-roading on logging roads with some friends and it just kind of spiraled from there. It just, we, we started regearing differentials, um, swap, doing engine swaps. And, and it was just the most fun, probably one of the most fun times of my life, actually. Uh, well, okay. So I was wrong. It wasn't a 72 judge. Oh, no. <laughs> no. gremlin or something. No, <laughs> yeah, or, or no, a goat. no, it was an, it was an 81, uh, an 81 Nissan Sentra. Wow. There you a go. lot of dents. That's how I could afford it at the time. It had a lot of dents when I got <laughs> right. So hey, so hey, Samantha, the, the, the vocational truck is is very cool. And watching and watching that uh, which watching that video was kind of fun. I like, wish I was there with Alan. We could go play with those cranes and drive those things around. It'd be really kind of a a, uh, a an adult trucker's playground or theme park, right? But uh, so <laughs> what, what? Can you talk about the scope and size of the vocational market? Give us a little insights into that. 
Yeah, you know, it's it's something that we struggle with the most in our industry because it's not measured real well, right? So on the on-highway market, in a lot of respects, is is a lot easier to measure because uh, freight indices track it. There's there's bigger customers. There's a lot more really good data. So we've used a lot of methods to. Um, and, and kind of my, my background's engineering and data, and I start to geek out. So me, me and my team and, and the team here at Daimler Trucks North America use a lot of different methods to back into the size of that vocational market. And it varies, obviously, from year to year in cycles, but it's right around that somewhere between 65000 on a really low year to as high as the high 80s, low 90s on a high year. And that's the class eight, the class eight side. So I'm talking bigger, the bigger trucks. Well, wow. you know, I was watching a promo spot for the 49X, and it said that one of the things you do is unrelenting shake testing. What goes into unrelenting shake testing? It sounds, you know, it sounds exactly like you say. Um, we actually have a, a couple different shaking shake testers here. One of them is an entire truck shake tester, and it's got we. To, so I'm going to back up a little bit. Um, before we build the shake tester and set up the way that it's actually going to literally shake the truck, we instrumented customer trucks. So we went out into the woods of northern BC. We went to some oil field um, test lo- locations, and we put 150 sensors all over this truck. And then we drove them. We measured them. And then we took all those forces, right? So so say at the, you know, you, you found a force at at the driver's seat area, and it was exactly this many uh, newton meters. And then we take that and we say, hey, to make that force occur on the shaker, we shake. It's It's got all these different pistons. You shake these in this combination with this force and these in this combination, and then you shake it. And um, and and you just keep, you keep shaking it. So when you watch the shaker, it it goes through these really strange, or what to you and I would look really strange, like cycles, where it'll just like... And then it stops and it'll kind of, and it stops. And what it's doing is it's recreating all those forces of driving on a logging road, hitting ruts, hitting, hitting, uh, hitting all the obstacles. Um, and so then when you, so you think of that, you know, a, a logging road, you're driving a little lower speed, you're hitting a rut, it's going to be kind of more your big bump. And then it'll go into a cycle where say you've, you've pulled your logs into kind of a, a, a little more heavily traveled road. So you're coming out of the out of the real dense forest and, and you're on the washboard road. So then it goes into a shaker cycle and it's like a washboard. So it's a lot faster, um, a lot more vibrations really quickly. And then it'll go into the cycle for that exact same truck that's now on the highway delivering to its drop-off point. So it's, it's, it's cool. There's some videos actually out there um, on our YouTube channel that show it and, and Instagram and Facebook. And it, there's just like little videos of it and it probably describes it better than my really cool sound effects or hand movements are doing, but, um, that's, no, how, that's gonna, how it works. I was going to compliment her pantomiming. Like I really appreciated the, the acting out of the side. No, I, I, I was, I, I have two things. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, I have, I have two quick things. One, um, someone in production, can you get that, uh, turn that into a, a, a gift for us, a, a gif for oh, us her oh, yeah. going, <laughs> so, we can, so we can use that for promos, um, for our holiday special. <laughs> sure. I, maybe. Uh, but the other thing is, you know, you talked about, you know, the market and, and budgeting and that type of stuff and, and reading the article and going through it. It's interesting to me that, you know, like the infrastructure bills yeah. uh, would cause a huge demand for trucks. How do you get ahead of that curve and not be left hanging like, well, we could have sold 10,000, but we didn't see this coming. But you know it's coming, but you're not sure it's coming, right? How, how do you manage that type of budget? 
Yeah, that's, you know, that's what me and my team have the challenge of doing. And it's difficult because the infrastructure bill, I think, um, for as long as I've been in the vocational business, which is going on just over 20 years now, we've been talking about it. We've Mm -hmm. been talking about, hey, we need to replace our infrastructure. We've got bridges that are crumbling. I, I thought back when um, the bridge collapse in Minnesota happened that that would really like kick it into gear and it did. And then it kind of pulled back a little bit. Um, so we really take a look at everything that's going on in the United States and the economy. And, and we talk about likelihoods and with what's going on right now and, and all of the, the discussions in Washington about infrastructure, we feel like it's becoming more of a reality. And so this that conversation is something that me and my team are tasked with having on a regular basis. And we take all those inputs and synthesize them and, and we use a crystal ball and, and off you go. Very scientific one, but still a crystal ball nonetheless. Are you sitting right next to a truck? I'm actually sitting next to a cutaway version of the new 49X. Um, it's right behind me. I'm in our engineering technology building, um, which is is where my office is. And it's actually... A little, it's very intentional that I sit with the engineers and the reason why. So I said that 80,000 market. What's interesting about that 80,000 market is that it's made up of small slices of all different markets, right? And that when I, when I talk to people about vocational trucks, they're always like, what does that mean? And I'm like, it's a truck that does one thing and moves one thing. So when you think about your, your highway um, over the road truck, you could put TVs in them, you know, thinking of Christmas, I want a TV. You could put a TV in that trailer. You could put, um, you could put food in the trailer as long as it's not perishable because then you would need a refrigerated trailer. You could put anything in that trailer and haul it. When you think about a vocational truck, it's built to haul one thing. You dump truck, you even dump trucks, you, you select a dump truck body that's for like gravel versus dirt versus large boulders, right? So, so you get to this level of specificity and, in order to be really good in the vocational truck market, you've got to have a really good diverse product. So I sit with the engineers in our technology building in front of my truck model. That was a very, very large segue away from your initial question. Um, but I do it because A, I love engineering, but B, that's how we get the best product for our customer. Awesome. Mm. Yeah. Uh, one of my questions was, you know, those gigantic, uh, you know, those gigantic um, heavy haul trucks. Do you do you guys Ooh, work on anything yeah, like yeah, that? Yeah. What kind of development goes into these giant these giant vehicles? Because I know in Alan's article, you know, you said that it, it, it only took it took six years to do this particular truck. But that was a short amount of development cycle time. And I can imagine one of those heavy hauls, those just gigantic looking dump trucks must take, I don't know, forever. So it's interesting because you use the word heavy haul. And and one of the things about heavy haul that's so tricky is what does that mean? And to some people, that means anything over your standard 80,000 pounds, right? Here in the West Coast, um, you can actually haul 105.5. So some people will say, hey, that's a heavy haul because it's more than 80. And other people are like, it's 105.5. That's just a, a regular thing. So when you're describing it, where, where my mind is going is like these big, like crazy, crazy off-highway things um, like our 6900 XT which is built for, for heavy, heavy, heavy haul. And I'm talking like the, you have to shut the road down and permit it and you get the, the multiple trailer axles and you have, you know, two trucks at the mm-hmm. front, one mm-hmm. at the back pushing. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I That's mean, a the, great the ones example. that are just like the like room <laughs> size, right? 18 wheels, you got staircases um, to get up yeah. to them. So, so you're right. That's, that's kind of the next um, iteration of design is, hey, you, you, you create a truck that, that lives really well in harsh applications like logging. And then you go, okay, well, what are the inputs for that truck? So for, 
for an extreme heavy haul, right? What are the most important features? It turns out, um, and this is not an industry trade secret, so I'm not giving anything away, but it turns out that for those trucks, like that durability we talk about with the shaker where you beat the crap out of it over and over, that's not as important. What's important is your power ratio and your cooling, right? So yeah. you design, you, you take all your pieces, but you say, hey, to really excel for the customer, we need to hit the, um, the cooling. We've also got to think about driver and operator comfort because those guys are in there a long time at low speeds and they are focused, right? They're talking to each other on radios. They're all linked together. If, if you've got those three trucks linked together, you can't have one guy that's going to be a cowboy and the other one that's going to ride the brakes, right? So, so the inputs into what that truck needs to do are significantly different. So we take all of that, we, we, we work with our engineering partners and, and uh, designers here at Daimler Truck North America, and we say, okay, here's what we need to make that truck for. And that's really the nuance. You can see I get excited because that's what I love about my job, and that's the nuance in the vocational market, right, is you've gotta, you can't create a product just for that. But you have to create a product that can do that as well as haul the dirt. And that's where, that's where the engineering and the, the science and, and the variability come in. You know, uh, Samantha, I'm almost convinced that you're passionate about your job. Yeah, I know. It's infectious. Uh, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, <laughs> sometimes, yeah, sometimes people are like, can you, can you dial it back a little? And I, <laughs> no, and I, no. I it's just, it's just so cool. I absolutely I love it. It's in, this, I absolutely love I it. It's in, it's infectious. This. That is, that is tremendous. Talk. Can you talk a little bit? There's got to be some challenges when you talk about regulatory type of things, county to county, state to state. But uh, uh, so that's got to be challenging. But then you throw in a customer who wants specific type of stuff. There's got to be some challenges in there. Can you speak to that a little bit? Does a customer want something that you just can't do because you're re- regulatory and you've got to make some uh, twists and turns with your engineering and development, et cetera? Yeah, I'm going to actually take your question and divide it into two sure. parts. Um, the, the first part is regulatory. Yeah, it's tough. Um, on one hand, regulatory pushes us to be better, right? Like we're building cleaner trucks than ever before. To me, that's a solid win. Um, so we, we have to take all of those factors. Now, regulatory um, back in 07 and 2010 really changed the vocational industry because we added, as you know, DPFSDR, and then we added this fluid. So we had to take trucks that have been built the same way for years and years and years, and you put a body on it the same way for years and years and years, and we had to, to start over. So that was a challenge for us. It was a challenge for our um, truck equipment manufacturer customers and our end user customers because everything had to change. Body designs had to change. The way you integrated had to change. Um, so for the vocational space, it, it, uh, it's tough. It's a challenge because there's that broad market with real specificity, and you have to be really creative to design a system that's that can that can be moved, that's interchangeable, so that you you don't design a solution for this customer and then this customer and then this customer and this customer. You design a solution that'll span all of them with with slight changes. Um, so onto the the second part of your question, when a customer is like, "Hey, I need this, I need this, I need this," um, what my team and I do, and we're, we're constantly challenged with doing, is well, what are they really asking for? Right? What do they really need? An example I'll give you because often we can we can give them what they need, which is not what they're asking for. So on the 49X particularly, and a really great example of that, we often um, you guys like air dryers. You get air dry, <laughs> air dryers. Air dryers are the bane of the vocational truck market because they they're they're large. You have to access it for servicing it, right? And 
there's no real good place to put an air dryer. So we often get Reglio, locate my air dryer inside the rail, 24 inches back of cab, locate my air dryer outside of the rail, 10 inches back. And, and that is the customer request. Put it here. But what the customer is really asking for is get the air dryer the heck out of my way. Yeah. So on the 49X, we said, hey, let's get this thing out of the way. And we went to put it back up front under the hood. So for years, air dryers were up um, under the hood, usually on the right-hand side. And then emissions temperatures, bringing it back to regulatory, started climbing. And so those under hood temps climbed and air dryers started getting kicked to the back. Well, when we designed the 49X, the hood designers designed the hood to circulate air to that front right-hand corner to cool, to bring the engine temps down to put the air dryer there. There were no customers, I can almost guarantee you, that came in and said, hey, can you put the air dryer there? And we said, yes. But they do come in and say, put it here, 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 there. We said, how about we just take it out of the equation? So that's kind of the the part of, it's a part of my job I love, right? Provide mm-hmm. the customer what he needs, not necessarily what he's asking for. And where we really dig deep is, hey, why are they asking for what they're asking for? They're asking for it so they can do their job, right? So so what are, what about their request is enabling them to do their job and be successful? Because these trucks work. They work all day long in very specific things. So that's kind of where, where we take that. Well, Samantha, I, we love your energy. You know, someone with your energy is welcome on the show anytime. But in the meantime, if you, know, if you sold a few trucks here, where do people go to, to, go to get them? Yeah, we have a, a very strong dealer network. And so you go to any Western Star um, dealer network, and, and we're starting to ship these these trucks out. Um, actually, this the last couple of weeks, we've we've shipped quite a few, so people can go and start to drive the new 49X and see it for themselves. It's, it rides incredibly. Um, I know Alan probably told you about his experience. We took him to a quarry and, and beat him up and shook Alan as well as the truck and didn't put him in the shaker table quite, but but put him out there and um, it's it's a fantastic riding truck. It's stick it's stick him well in that shaker. Stick him in that <laughs> shaker next time, Samantha. Hey, thank you very much. Have a happy yeah. holidays and uh, don't be a stranger. We'll we'll have you back on next year. Yeah, anytime. Thank you guys. Take care. Thanks, Samantha. Wow, awesome stuff. No, that was that was great. That was that was that was fun and vocational. You know, we got to learn a lot. Like we didn't know a ton about space going into uh, in going into yesterday. We got to have space waves and we got full education. I, you know, I that's I'm like a hummingbird when it's information like things I'm just super super curious about. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm she very... was. She Very was great. I love she was like pantomiming and like, oh, and that was great, man. We don't need production to gift that. I'm gonna do it on my iPhone when I when I get home. You gonna go shake it? Yeah, like a Polaroid picture. <laughs> like a Polaroid. I was gonna say like a Polaroid. Hey, we, we only got we got short time left. What do you think of XPO Logistics splitting? What do you think of these these placeholder names? XPO Remainco. To me, that sounds like a crematorium or something, or like a funeral home. It's what's left over, bro. It's what's left over. <laughs> <Remainco>. <laughs> I mean, I imagine it 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 got voted by one extra vote over. XPO What's Left Over Co. <laughs> Here, here's my takeaway. After reading Mark Solomon's yeah. article on FreightWaves.com, after seeing um, Brad Jacobson yeah. uh, on, on Mad Money, right, yeah. talking mm-hmm. to Jim Cramer, he's looking at all these new companies, get these, these sky-high valuation. Is like, why is a legacy player not getting the exactly same it. multiples of EBITDA, right? That's exactly. That's the whole thing. That seems like the whole thing behind this. Exactly Although they it. also were planning on splitting up at the beginning of the year before the pandemic hit, and then everyone freaked out in March, so those plans got off the table. But well, and when you when you read through the article and you go through there, you know the beginning of the end. It, there's some great points inside there. Yeah. That, you know, it, it, what do you think he was going to do? He's yeah. not he's not a lifer trucker. 
<laughs> he this is what he does. Yeah. Creates a ton of wealth, much like Hunter Harrison did. Absolutely. <laughs> creates a ton of wealth for the Well, guys, Saturday on Radio Alan Adler, he's going to talk more about this EV space. He'll get us up to speed on Nicholas, some of these SPACs that are coming out. He'll talk about his uh, visit at Daimler, so we'll carry on that conversation a little bit more. Eric Kulish will be on to talk about air freight. Uh, Dan Deegan of High Performance Logistics and Sales will be there. And I don't know, maybe you'll be there at the beginning. Yeah, if you want me, yeah. I'm All right. always available for you, brother. And, and you. you know and uh, then Monday, I want the truck. We got Taylor Wilkerson. He's going to be talking about vaccine logistics. Super excited Ooh, about that. It's a Monday, too. So it'll probably be good vaccine news. It seems like that happens every Monday. Brian Kemperstein is the founder of Port X Logistics. And um, Sheaton Mayor Richley, he's the CEO founder of Locomation. He's going to be talking about that Wi Fi bandwidth issue. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah with yeah, the platooning yeah. trucks and trucks right. on the road communication, the all that stuff. stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he'll get us up to speed on what's going on there. And then we'll also have a surprise guest or two. Hey, catch us on Twitter. Find me at Timothy Duner. That is D-O-O-N-E-R. Find him at Vincent the Dude. Or just look up Michael Vincent on LinkedIn. This no. show comes at you live Mondays and Fridays, 12 p.m. Eastern time. Look it up on your favorite podcast player of choice. One the truck, one break ass for every single podcast. And here's a little cowbell for your mama. He said no.